Hey everybody, it's your favorite reconstructionist, Eric Brown and Phil Relly, and welcome to episode number 23 of the one and only show bringing you tips and tricks to working vehicle collision cases from the best experts in the industry every Wednesday. Today's topic is, we wear our sunglasses at night. Anyway, I know you don't want to hear me sing, but you are going to want to hear today's guest. So grab your expert angle coffee mug and settle in. Three, two, one, off we go. Every year, traffic crashes claim the lives of over a million people and account for over $500 billion of injuries around the world. A small select group of people from police to attorneys to expert investigators are tasked with getting justice for the victims, protecting the rights of involved parties, and ensuring the story is told accurately and honestly. Unfortunately, we believe that is an impossible task without the right team of experts. If you agree, then keep on listening for actionable tips from leading experts across various industries that you can start taking today to elevate your professional game. If you disagree, then tune in anyway and let us convince you with our ideas. We are Eric Brown and Phil Rally, and this is Crash Tech, the expert angle. Welcome back to the show, guys. Crash Tech, the expert angle podcast is brought to you by Crash Tech Reconstruction Services. If you have an accident that you need answers for or you think the other side has it wrong, Crash Tech can help. Connect with us at www.crashtechreconstruction.com to submit your case for a free review. So Phil, man, super, super special episode today uh, for a few reasons. One, from uh, Houston International Airport, uh, where I'm filming at. And uh, so that's kind of exciting. So if for some reason uh, you hear uh, weird noises behind me, that's all it is, is, uh, you know, just either passengers coming in and out or uh, planes taking off. Um, but also we have a special guest with us, Swaroop Dinakar, uh, who works with uh, Jeff Mutart, uh, who we just previously has ha- had on. And, uh, you know, Chris was going to be with us today because Chris is a, an ultra fanboy of Swaroop. And, uh, you know, when we said that we were going to have him on, you know, Chris, obviously he geeked out and, uh, which I thought was cool. I'm like, all right. So, you know, he's, he's a fan. And, uh, until I went to his house and then he has like that George Michaels picture, that poster, you know, from like the early nineties with George Michaels <laughs> with the unzipped leather jacket, but he's got Swaroop's face taped over George Michael. It was so weird. I don't, I don't know. And then yeah. I was like, Chris, this is odd. So Swaroop, I apologize. That's why Chris isn't with us. Cause I had to kick him <laughs> off. I think, I think you should get a restraining order personally. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, uh, no. So Phil, man, you know, tell us a little bit about, uh, you know, our guest here that's coming on and, uh, sure. let's, let's get rolling. Cause we got, a ton of information to try and cover in this podcast and uh you know get it out there for everybody yep so swaroop uh got his bachelor's in uh, industrial engineering in uh, from india then moved on got his master's of science uh in industrial engineering from texas a&m uh where he did some research there in their human factors lab um and the uh, did research in human factors at the human factors lab uh, worked on projects uh, understanding possible distraction in emergency vehicles. Interesting, uh, interesting topic, point, yeah. talking point there for sure. Uh, he's worked with uh, Crash Safety Research Center with Dr. Mutart for five years, uh, continues his research and uh, driver response time, uh, or I'm sorry, driver behavior and uh, published research. Uh, his interests are, uh, they kind of lie in the nighttime recognition. We've talked a lot about that. Uh, perception response time, and uh, he's currently working working on naturalistic crash and near crash data, which very uh, very interesting. Again, uh, worked with a lot of police agencies conducting nighttime research. A lot of that's huge nighttime yeah. crash. We get so many of those. 
uh, and developing good practices for nighttime scene documentation, which, wow, we talked about that a bunch, um, documenting yeah. scenes, you know, what should yeah. be documented in, in, you know, where the ball's getting dropped, I guess, you know, for, to just to put it out there. So, so what I'm hearing in all of that is that uh, Swarup's really new to this. And uh, he's uh, very, <laughs> yeah. very limited, yeah. uh, very limited experience. <laughs> I'm just kidding. So Swaru, man, we, we really, really appreciate you taking your time to come on here and, and share with everybody, um, you know, and, and get some of the get some of this word out, out there on, on everything. So um, I don't know, Phil, you know, I wanted to hit on on some of the nighttime recognition and caplets, yeah. but I kind of also want to hit a little bit on the distracted drivers and emergency vehicles because we just recently worked a crash with an emergency vehicle going through an intersection. Yeah. You know, and distracted distracted driving, you know, on a national level is huge. I mean, it it, it comes up, it pops up, it's everywhere, you know, just drive down the highway and look and and everybody's got the phone or, or doing something other than paying attention. So, so Rup, what what do you you got on this, man? Yeah, uh, guys, firstly, thanks a lot for having me on. Uh, this is very exciting for me. This is my first podcast, so, so I hope I do well. Oh, um, yeah, you're, you're famous <laughs> now, man. <laughs> or infamous. <laughs> yeah, whichever. <laughs> I think, I'll take either one. Yeah. <laughs> but, but yeah, uh, at, at Texas A&M, um, I worked on a project where we were really looking at distracted driving in emergency vehicles. And what they found was that, like, a lot of police officers, ambulance drivers, fire truck drivers, getting in more crashes, and some of them more serious, some of them less so. And so I was fairly new to this, right? And I'm doing my initial research and looking at cell phone research. And the first time I sit in a police cruiser, right? And let me make it clear, I wasn't being arrested. <laughs> but, Were you in the back handcuffed? That's the question everybody no, wants to know. I was know. Okay. in the front right. driver's seat. <laughs> and I wasn't stealing the car either. But, okay. <laughs> yeah. but, but what, I found, what I found really surprising was that there's a laptop, right, in the front mm-hmm. seat of most vehicles. And, I'm ask, uh, and I asked the officer there, I was like, what's going on here? What's with the laptop? And what he said was, well, this is literally our main information source, right? And you're getting very, you're getting your call information, you're getting your addresses, uh, you can run license plate on them. And, and we were talking about that, you know, cell phones are bad. How does a laptop, where does a laptop really fit into this whole feature, right? And what we found was this, this is a prevalent problem throughout the country. And uh, a few jurisdictions have more stricter rules for their officers where they'll say, if you're using something like this, pull over to the side. If you're, if you're doing more complex tasks or but, but if you're responding to like voice messages or just getting connected to uh, the dispatch, uh, there, there's a little less rules when that's concerned. And so we did a follow-up study with that. We set it up on a simulator, ran a few people to see how distracting a laptop can be and, and the results are not so great right as you can imagine so anything that's taking away your visual attention and it requires you to manually input or configure something those, those that doesn't really add up to good driving because now you're move, looking away from where you're supposed to be looking you're engaging in a secondary task so we found that in those specific tasks, it, it does make it more difficult. You are likely to be more distracted. Um, 
So so we wrote up a paper on that and, and we recommended that when possible, you really need to pull over to the side. And what the, the main issue where we saw this was in ambulance drivers, because initially they both start off in the front of the vehicle. But then once you pick your patient up, one of them switches to the back. Yeah. yeah. All the responsibility of finding the hospital, putting on the patient information. And, and that was where we started seeing a few X, few more cases of these. Yeah. So let me ask you a question then. So on the topic of the, the public safety vehicles and especially specifically police and, and Phil and I both are traffic guys. Um, right. So like for me, it, you know, you had the laptop in the front seat where I was running license plates of cars. I was pulling over my radar unit that was constantly running. So I'm watching the speed on the radar. My Ford had the sync system. So now I had like that screen from the sync system. Plus I had, you know, especially if you're working in a County level, Phil, you know, like, you know, dude, everybody has a GPS in the car because you, you know, you got to cover the whole County. Plus then you have your speedometer and everything else. Plus then you're watching the, trying to watch the car in front of you. Plus then, um, God forbid, you actually get somebody arrested and put them in the back seat, and now they're talking and banging their head right. off the spider and everything else. I mean, how distracting is this for police? And, and what are you seeing if you handle a crash for a police officer and, and they are actively like doing their job and, and you know, using all of these things? How is this affecting perception reaction time? Because what me and Phil are, are seeing is that people are still assigning them a one and a half second perception reaction time. Right. So when when it comes to multiple devices, right? So I think one place where you really see response time slowing down is, let's say, like Darlene and uh, head in the study at our company recently, and we found that secondary tasks, so where you're physically and manually uh, using devices, so if you're making a left turn or a right turn. That's where we've actually seen effects of later responses by drivers because you, you're you already configuring your vehicle, you're making a turn, and at that time, suddenly a pedestrian runs or a bicyclist comes across the intersection. That's where we've seen secondary tasks to have to slow down your response time. And uh, the other thing that happens with having a secondary task is uh, you're detecting the, you might be detecting your hazard a little later. Right. So because everybody is driving through and just being in a crash is not a very likely event. Right. Like you will drive 200,000 miles or so before you actually get into a crash. But once, let's say, at that very moment where someone's running in and you start to look away, that's where you're detecting the pedestrian or a vehicle later. And that's why you might respond similarly from when you detect them. But I think overall in the grander picture you're detecting them later, you're responding slightly later because of that. One, one problem we did see with, uh, I think it's a good thing you pointed out all the devices you had. We saw a few older police cruisers where they were retrofitted with laptops. Uh, you have the radar, you have your mirror and everything. And we saw that vision was a problem. Like you have blocked vision, like the entire center console gets blocked off. So if yeah. you have someone coming up from behind there, that that also creates a, another issue where, where you just don't see someone coming in. So a, a lot of recommendations we actually made was give them as much 
forward view as possible, right? Like don't block vision and, and that seems to help. Yeah. And that's, that's one of the things I've seen is when I get into some of these departments, police cars, if the lid is open on the, on the MDT, uh, with the radar unit typically is mounted somewhere towards the center of the vehicle. And so with the rear view mirror, the radar unit and the lid of the laptop open, it completely yeah. blocks the windshield. It makes a solid wall from the top of the dash all the way up to the ceiling of the car. And right. so if, if you were to give advice to attorneys that might be working in the law departments of cities, or, you know, if you have a police chief or somebody that's a fleet manager watching this, what would you say? I mean, is that, can that put some liability on the city in, in case of a crash? I mean, because they, they created a view obstruction that wasn't going to be there normally. Right. But so what sometimes what will happen is you just don't have a choice because let's say nowadays you see more SUVs like an Explorer or a Tahoe. So you've got a little more room to play with, but let's say if you're in one of the older, uh, older sedans, right? That's mm-hmm. where you really have a problem because everything is compressed. You have a cage behind you. So everything's cramped up. And the thing is you need all these devices to function properly to so that you're doing all the things you need to do while you're out on the road. But But then it's also kind of hindering your vision, right? So what we've recommended is try and distribute them, right? So a radar... Um, a sound-based radar. So we've seen systems where if someone's speeding, you just get um, an auditory alert mm-hmm. and it doesn't really require you to look and see how fast someone's going. So as as long as you get the information that, oh, someone is speeding over whatever threshold you set it at, so you're not engaging your vision as much when you're already driving and you might have to do something else. Uh, also try and have your dashboard uh, and everything in the windshield area cleared out so that you're not blocking your vision. Because a lot of times, slower speed crashes, or if you're in urban areas, you're going to have pedestrian traffic all the time. So it's just much more safer to not block your windshield, forward windshield, and, and that really helps. Yeah. And Phil, I'm, you know, Phil, I, I'm curious what your thoughts would be on this because, you know, teaching at the academy, it, when you talk to new police officers, you know, just because you have to use this equipment and, and you know, we have to, I mean, that, that's our lifeline to our dispatchers and, and call information and everything else. But Phil, I mean, does that absolve an officer of any responsibility if he's involved in a crash? Uh, no, I mean, it, it really doesn't, you know, there, there's always that comparable negligence aspect that comes into play. Um, but you're you're really going to have to look at everything, you know, not necessarily um, just the actions of the officers that, that led into the crash, but then you're going to start looking into the view obstructions, you know, was the laptop lit up, down, um, you know, you're probably going to have to, and it would be very tough to do, uh, but you're going to have to find a quote unquote exemplar person that's same height, approximately same weight that would sit in the same seat position and, and almost GoPro or somehow with a pair of sun, recording sunglasses, getting that, get in that seat and just kind of pan around, try and set that yeah. cruiser up in the same, same condition it was at the time of the collision, if at all possible. Well, and that's what obstructions are created. And if there are any, yeah. and, and, and did the obstruction have any uh, relationship to the possible causation, you know, maybe you're, if the pedestrian comes from the right, 
um, and the laptop lids up and the radar unit is where it's at and they got, you know, stacks of papers or what have you, that might be an issue. Um, but if the, if the, if the threat came from the left, there's really nothing blocking there. So what maybe brought yeah. your attention, you know, what, what caused you to look away or not be looking that way? I don't know. So you'd kind of, depending on the circumstances of the crash, I think you'd have to, um, you'd really have to dig into that. But Swoop, I yeah. had, I had two things for you just to touch on, on what you were saying. First is, did you, in your studies, notice or or was there any um, color? You know, your, your dash lights are a certain color, your radio is a certain color, your radar is a different color, your laptop screen is a different color. So did that um, play in, in, in any way, shape, or form to um, – either eye fatigue or strain or anything like that on drivers of the emergency vehicles. That was one. And two, did you, or have you had a chance to do follow-up with the agencies where say they had a high uh, crash rate and they took your, you know, your, from your study, they, they implemented some of the changes and recommendations you made. Have they seen improvement in their, in their crash statistics? Are they, are they coming down? Um, so, uh, to answer your first question, right, as far as color was concerned. So what we have seen is that, um, especially at nighttime, so it, it's generally preferable to have your dashboard lights turned down because that can create a glaring effect. And uh, what we've seen is sometimes you'll have reflections from windshields and things like that. So always have dimmer light settings in your vehicle itself so that you're not getting, uh, so you're not losing your night adaptation. Okay. Uh, so, because once you're looking at brighter lights at night, you're you're not going to really adapt to your night vision, right? Okay. We have night vision, but it's not the best. Uh, we wish we had much better night vision. But sure. to the extent that we have it, it starts to reduce that. And so always have dimmer lights. Don't have a screen flashing lights at you. So if you're not going to be using your MCT, just turn the screen down so, so that you're not losing that part of it at nighttime. Um, as far as the second part of your question, to see if um, we didn't really follow up on a lot of departments where we did speak with them, but uh, we have seen results in uh, implemented. Like there were already some agencies who were following these protocols. And, and yeah, I think there is has been a reduction where you the, the lesser load you put on them, the lesser attention you take away from the road uh, of the drivers, uh, that's better, right? So sure. as long as you, you don't want them to look away for long periods of time from the forward right. view, all of those help. Yeah. And so, Phil, you know, to, to point this out, and, and I just want to make this comment before we get on to the caplets section, um, but, you know, if you're a police officer watching this, take two seconds at the start of your shift, all right? And like Phil was just talking about color. But go into this to the to the settings of your MDT because most of them are tough books and stuff like that, and and they have themes and windows. And if you have an assigned car, set up a nighttime theme that has you know maybe some darker lettering instead of using white letters, use red or blue, you know, or like you know make sure you're setting your black your your backgrounds to black, you know, and stuff like that. But take two seconds because if you guys have a crash, you're gonna have to answer. You know, ultimately you're responsible for the operation of that cruiser. Right. So take take two seconds. Uh, today, today, when you're at work and change that to a nighttime theme, if you work nighttime shifts and, and, you know, at least lessen the load that your brain and everything's trying to interpret when you're out there on the shift. 
Absolutely. Hey, so, so Ruba, so we're, we're going to, so we don't run up against a time crunch here. Um, so I think we kind of talked if you'd agree or, or if there's more you want to put into this, um, like what helps with, with nighttime recognition. But I really like to to talk a little bit about a little more about uh, like reenactments approach and then, right. um, you know, documenting, documenting scenes, you know, um, t- you know, tips for reconstructionists out there doing nighttime crashes, you know. Right. What 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 should we be looking at that we're not? You know, maybe it just didn't come to anybody's attention. Right. So I think one of the main tools, right? So that you will really need if you're doing a nighttime scene is what we call uh, an illuminance meter or the a specific model we use. It's called the XTech LP three hundred. So it's available on Amazon and. All it's doing is it's telling you how much light is present at the area of your crash. Uh, I think it's a device that's really helpful. It, it runs about $250 with like a calibration certificate. So if in your department, if you have two people who are always going to be at a nighttime scene, we highly recommend getting one of them. Because what you're doing is you're, you're not talking if you're really accounting for the amount of light present, right? So a lot of crashes we do, dark, unlit roads, there's nothing out there. In the, you're in the middle of nowhere. You're not going to have any light there once it's dark. Uh, sometimes you'll have crashes in slightly more urban areas. Um, you're going to have like business lightings or billboards. And what we've seen is business lightings and billboards so far haven't had a lot of light shining out on the road. So... It's, it's a common argument you're going to get uh, which says, oh, there's billboards there. It's really bright out there. But when you really go out and measure the lighting that's there, it's not really meeting your thresholds, right? So you can really say, all right, I checked how much light was there. I understand there was a billboard. But when you really account for how much light is coming, it's, it's not going to help a lot with recognition. Um, the other thing a light meter helps with is to map your headlights. Right, so you're going to have newer headlights, older headlights. Generally, they're going to behave in a certain range. Uh, the newer HID LED headlights, they they are really good. But when you really compare how much of an improvement they provide to you over the older halogen lights, I think recognition has gone up by like 30, 40 feet. So if you are in a highway kind of a scenario it's not making a lot of difference, right? You're going 100 feet a second. Uh, you you get maybe a quarter second more or half a second more with these headlights. But so it, it really helps you dot your I's and cross your T's by just saying, hey, I checked my headlights. I checked how much lighting was present. And we, I think we have a very simplified approach to look at this. We have a scale which goes from zero lux to 20 lux. And lux is basically how we measure light. Mm-hmm. So if you have pedestrians wearing darker clothes, you need to be you need to get at least those fifteen or twenty lux of light. If you're wearing lighter clothes, you need less than five lux of light. And everything in the middle is in that range. Right. So I think the easiest approach we use is we say, Hey, I need twenty lux of light. Someone's wearing all black clothes. Uh do my street lights give me that twenty lux of light? If not, then do my headlights, where do my headlights give me that twenty lux of light? So it's you're just seeing, I'm matching my numbers to what's actually there, 
And if it meets a threshold, right, that specific threshold, then you can say, okay, recognition is very likely because you're meeting the minimum amount of light left, light required. Sure, sure. Um, so, yeah. to, real quick, to follow up on that though. So now would you still compare that? So like, let's say you have a crash where, you know, a car hits a pedestrian at night. And so now all of a sudden, so you hit that 20 lux threshold, okay? Right. But they still took no evasive action whatsoever. So now are you going to take that and start to compare that to, you know, because like in Jeff's book, he even writes, he's like, it's not an investigator's job to determine what somebody should or not, should not have seen. It's it's our job to compare it to research that's out there. So is that where you start to then, as, as reconstructionists, would, would we write in our reports, you know, that at this point, the pedestrian would have been visible to a reasonably alert driver or produced sufficient contrast to their background to be reasonably visible, you know, however the the person didn't see them. So now, now there might be a question of something else like distracted driving or something like that going on in right. the view. Sure. Right. Right. So uh, I think you, you said it perfectly. So when I say 20 lux of right, right, light, right. So it's, it's how much has been required to see these pedestrians in the past. And uh, so what, as investigators, we go out and see if we're meeting that threshold or not. And then compare what this driver did in this scenario to what most drivers have done. And uh, if you're seeing that, okay, I, I, could, I get my 20 lux of light 200 feet away, for example, and, uh, and then this driver has no response at all, doesn't get on the brakes, uh, doesn't get on, doesn't take any evasive maneuver when he has the time to respond, then, then yes, he might be slower, but we don't know why he might have been slower. But what we can say is, yeah, he was slower because likely he was distracted or he was fatigued or you can give him some attribute. But uh, one thing I want to really add to is, like you mentioned, caplets, right? So caplets is important and lighting is only one of the components there mm -hmm. because you can really light an object very well, but then if you don't have good contrast or if the size of the object is not great or, or if it's just a very unusual scenario where you're lacking pattern, then all those cases, your lighting doesn't really help, right? Because you need to meet, you need to have contrast, you need to have uh, anticipation. Lighting is the third component. Uh, pattern, pattern to us it seems like the most important one because we've seen pedestrians wearing reflective clothing right and there's mm -hmm. a very big difference in reflective clothing itself so people who are wearing reflective markers on their legs and wearing a vest give drivers more information than someone who's wearing uh what we call a walmart class vest which is just a line on the back so those things don't really help because you're not giving drivers information there is pattern but it's not good pattern that tells me oh that's a pedestrian out there in the road so, you know, and, yeah. I, and I think just not to, not to interrupt, not, can you, but you said it twice, maybe three times. It, it, it's more than just lighting. It's, it, it, it is, it's a form of nonverbal communication. It's, you know, the pedestrian or what have you is, is providing information to the driver. And if you're not providing the right information to that driver, you're reducing the, the ability for you and the driver to communicate nonverbally. Right. And, and, and one of the best forms of verbal or nonverbal information there is movement, right? So 
what we've seen in research is that people wore uh, class three vests. So it's got reflectors on your uh, elbows, it's got reflective stripes on your vest, uh, you have reflective stripes on your legs. So now you're outlining a human being, right? And what we've seen is that if the pedestrian is stationary wearing a class three vest, recognition was better than someone wearing all dark clothes, but then it wasn't significantly higher. But then that same pedestrian, let's say he starts walking or he starts moving, so now you're getting bio motion, right? So now I'm like, oh, I recognize a pedestrian walking. Yeah. And and that has significantly improved recognition distances. So now out of it, curiosity, does it yeah. does it make a difference if a pedestrian like which one's better in in your guys' opinion and research? A pedestrian going side to side or a pedestrian walking towards or away from you? Like which one is an easier kind of gate, I guess you would say, like to recognize as a person? Have you noticed any difference or no? Uh, I don't think so. So across is slightly better uh, because you're seeing all the limbs move when you have reflectors. Um, along the line, also, we do a pretty good job. Right? Um, so, But then what we need to make sure is that you're not overlapping your uh, reflectors. right? So uh, a good example of this is we did a little test um, study of sorts with uh, the Salt Lake City Unified Police Department. And they, they just wanted to know, hey, tell my pedestrians what they should be wearing when they go out running. So I had a pedestrian wearing just white clothes, pedestrian wearing dark clothes, um, someone wearing class three. And for one of my pedestrians, I had them wear a class two vest. And I had them wear reflectors on their wrists. And I just told them, run towards me, I'll capture a video. And, and I'll share the link to the video with you all because it's Great. really informative. Um, and you see that, so this runner is running with her hands in front of her, right? So her arm reflectors are useless to me because it's just overlapping her over her vest. So yeah. I don't get any movement information from her. All I see is a class two vest, which, which is good. It's better than not having anything, but then I'm not getting the limb movement, which would have improved her recognition distance even more. So as long as I can clearly see limbs that are not overlapping your reflective material, as long as it doesn't look like a square piece of reflector, which I might think is a speed limit sign or a no parking sign somewhere out there, that helps, right? That's a really good, and, and you know, I didn't even think about that because yeah. how many times would you have investigated a crash fill where, you know, you'd have, anybody would have been like, oh, this runner had a, had a reflective vest on, should have been visible. But if it's in a square pattern, not even really thinking that, you know, would that have been interpreted as a, as a no parking sign or a yeah. speed limit sign? Right. Yeah. And, and there's a study that looked exactly at that. So this was a study by Stacy Bach. Um, and then what they had was they had a pedestrian wearing all dark clothes and a pedestrian wearing a, a rectangle, right? Of something like eight inches by six inch rectangle on their chest. And they found no improvement in recognition distance at all. Uh, even if the pedestrian was walking, even if the pedestrian was stationary, nothing seemed to make a difference in that study. Oh, wow. That's so, yeah, that's interesting. I like that. And you so know, let I, me ask you another question. I was going to say, we're coming up on our, on our timeline here. I'd, I'd really like to, to, to I guess, invite Swaroop to come back. 
Yeah, let me ask you this, Swarup, and I'm going to put it out here live on the show. So we're going to put them on the spot and, and pressure yeah. you. It's pure peer pressure. Um, <laughs> one, will you go drinking with me? No, I'm just, I'm joking. I'm joking. <laughs> Not that kind of peer pressure. Um, but could we get you back on? And actually, I think it would actually be really cool to do a 30-minute show on caplets because I think there's so much information there. I agree. That's, that's yeah. so important. And to actually, like, let's run a show on how to actually document the information so that if you would need help, like, you know, if somebody would need to send it to you or something like that, Swarup, you know, like what information would you need documented to say, right. you know what I mean? Whether or not something was likely to be visible. I mean, would, would is that a show that, you, that you'd be willing to do with us? Oh, definitely. Yeah. And, and yes. Right. And my answer to the first question is yes, I will take you up on the bill. I'm changing my flight from coming back to Ohio to California now. Yeah. <laughs> I tell you what, Swarup, if you if you would, I know we're coming up on our time limit here. Um, if yeah. if you get time, if you can uh, email me some dates in the future, you know that, that you'd be available to to do a thirty minute on caplets. I, I think that's huge. And Eric, you know, thank you for bringing that up because I, I think that would be huge and so helpful to you know you know police officers that are that are watching us, other reconstructionists that are watching, um, would be very helpful to to make sure that we're you know we're 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 collecting the right data. And, uh, and if we need to take that data and, and, and give it to a, a human factors expert or someone that has expertise in nighttime recognition, et cetera, we're getting the right information to you because it doesn't do any good to give you bad information, you know? Yeah. Right. So, so if you would email me some dates and, and let's get you on the books, I promise we won't miss it. And, uh, yeah, yeah right. <laughs> <laughs> well, and so, so let's throw this out here real quick. Cause I want to just do something for, for all of our viewers and Swarup, we're going to let you go last so that you get the last word because you're, you're our guest. So, you know, let's, what's our, what's our tips here that we can give somebody that they can implement today to, to level up their game, to be better after this podcast than they were before it. And so I would say my number one thing is for the officers listening, and we already brought this up, right? Take two seconds, get in your cruiser tonight. All right. Adjust the settings on your, on all of your equipment uh, properly. And if you're in route to a call and you don't actively need information on that laptop, close the lid or put it down or lower it do something because guys, I get it. I get it how important it is to get to that call. But if you kill somebody along the way, you run over a pedestrian along the way, there's going to be some questions that need to be answered. And and I don't want to see you being the person sitting there having to answer those questions. And I'm going to piggyback on that, Eric, real quick um, from a different point of view. Um, you know, police officers are, are dying at alarming rates on the roadways on a daily basis. Um, from car crashes. Um, sometimes we're our own worst enemies. And, and I'm just as guilty as, as probably the next officer out there with with multitasking more than what I should be doing when, I, when I'm driving. Um, so, you know, none of us wants to, to, to attend another officer's funeral, anybody's funeral for that, but another officer's funeral. So to what Eric said about the pedestrian or the bicyclist or another motorist, but it's also you. You yep. know, if you if if doing it for no other reason, do it for yourself. And and for the investigators and the attorneys watching this, if you guys have a, an emergency vehicle involved crash, I think we've given you a good layout here of things that need to be looked at and need to be addressed. And if they're not documented, we need to start getting those documented. Yeah. So Swarup, right. all right, what do you what do you got for our listeners on everything that we covered? Um, and and so really, I know we touched on caplets. I think this show is more 
uh, of, of some of the distracted driving and, and stuff, which is amazing. Um, so we'll cover caplets on our next show. So we'll do our, yeah. our level up advice on that one. But what advice do you have that somebody could take today, either on, on what needs to be documented, looked at, or thought about when it comes to distracted driving and, uh, you know, con- conducting that investigation or nighttime scenes. Right. So, uh, I think I'll touch on the nighttime stuff on the next uh, on the next podcast because I think there's just so much to talk about. But but I think from a distracted driving point of view, if if you're in an emergency vehicle, if you're driving a police cruiser, I'd say my number one tip is to declutter. So get in your cruiser, make sure everything is in its place. Don't have stuff on your dashboard. Um, again, try and reconfigure the system like. Have a day where all where you have a break or something, you all go through each other's vehicle. Make sure everyone has clear line of sight. Uh, make sure you can see what you need to, and and engage in your MCTs only when you really really need to. If you're driving, otherwise, I think the safest option is to to pull over to the side of a road, uh, get the information you need, or or try and get in touch with the dispatch and try and get this information verbally uh, because. Your attention needs to be on the road um, because that's where that's where the next hazard is, right? So yep. you don't take your eyes off the road for an extended period of time because that's where things start to go bad. Yeah, well and for the and for the attorneys uh, and and the administrators, you know, the other important thing too is if you guys have a crash involving an emergency vehicle, MDTs record every transmission received and sent from that terminal. So when you send your spoliation letters. I would be sending one to preserve the data received and sent from that MDT terminal around the time of the crash. And if nothing else, best case scenario, there is no data, which is great because that supports that the officer wasn't actively using it. But if there is data that needs to be addressed and it needs to be preserved for the crash investigation. Well, everyone, that's going to wrap it up for the day. As always, jump over to Facebook and make sure you follow and join Crash Tech, the Expert Angle Group. Also, if you want to leave us feedback, have an idea for a show, or would like to be on a future show, head over to crashtechexpertangle.podbean.com and click the link on the right that says contact the show. The form will come up put anything that you want right in there. If you want more information on expert consulting services or training, visit us online at www.crashtechreconstruction.com. And finally, if you're a PI attorney, make sure you request to join the Crash Site Facebook group. Or if you're a defense attorney, make sure you request to join the Crash Site Defense Facebook group. Neither site contains any ads or spam. It's just a private community that brings experts from all different areas together with attorneys to collaborate or ask questions. So again, guys, thanks for tuning in. And remember, always leave your accident victims better off than you found them because at the end of the day, everything we're doing is for them.